Thursday, November 30th, last day of November here for the Sleepers Podcast. I'm Greg Waddell. I got Tristan Freeman back from Busting Brackets. He has filled in admirably for the big fella, Carter Elliott, who is still under the weather this week. Uh, Look, I don't mean to throw any allegations out there. I don't mean to target any particular person involved in this scenario, Tristan. But we just did our best YouTube day in channel history conveniently yesterday when Carter Elliott was unavailable. Do you have any comments? Yeah, well, it's more so of a question for you, Greg, because I, I, because you're a coach, you coach high school ball, so, so you, you know, you're a leader among men. So I, I wonder about your philosophy. Are, are you a believer that people can lose their job, starters can lose their jobs to injury or sickness? Uh, anybody can lose their job at any given time. Yes. Just, 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 you know, just, just, you know, just feeling that out there. No reason at all. Just, just, just wonder because you know, you know. Football, it happens all the time. QBs go down, you know. I, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm, you know, the Tom Brady to your Bill Belichick, you know, we can, you know, you know, throw some people out the way. But, you know, just saying, you know, things can always happen and people can emerge. I mean, that's certainly true. Are you implying that uh, as a backup quarterback, you're more J.J. McCarthy than you are Kate Hauser? Is that what we're saying here? I- more, more, more so. I just, I don't want to say because it will be mean because you know he, he's sick. But I've always thought that Corelli was the Kate McNamara of podcasters, <laughs> and and you know maybe it's best that maybe he goes somewhere else and gets his shine on. Maybe he can go to his own Iowa podcast and you know and, and average eight points a game. Or in his case. Eight <laughs> I think that might be the meanest thing anyone's ever said about Carter. And I've said some very mean things about Carter Elliott. So he's too uh, sick to fight me. So I'm good. (laughs) You're right. Get your shots in while you can. Uh, Hey, Carter, I'm still wishing you well. I can't wait until you're back and you can rejoin the show, my friend. But Tristan's doing a great job and we greatly appreciate him for being here. We also greatly appreciate the Heat heat Check guys who uh, are really helping us out on the recaps and the previews right now. I was up late last night with Brian and Riley who were both at the Dean Dome for North Carolina's huge win over Tennessee. We've got a Tennessee-UNC recap. We've got a Duke-Arkansas recap up on the channel. We're going to have a bunch more previews coming at you before the weekend. It's a great slate on Saturday. And uh, since Carter has abandoned me, he was going to come visit. We were just going to have a fun little family time. Now suddenly I'm free on Saturday. So that means we're going to have a little more content for you on the channel. Uh, Lots of good stuff happening over here in Sleepers Land. For today, we're going to run this just like a normal podcast. We'll start with a YouTube comment of the day. And Tristan, you've been up since 6 a.m. And now you know the rhythm of the show. I'm expecting you to come prepared with a comment of the day today. Yes, sir. I already have one from Justin Smith, 8668. And he asked, is it a stretch to think that it is at the very least a slim possibility that Purdue goes undefeated in the regular season. He says, hopefully I'm insane. Go Illini. So this is an Illini fan asking that question. I love the audacity of an Illinois fan asking that, first of all. Like, that's the type of Illinois fan I want to align myself with. Someone who's realistic. Someone that's honest about how good other teams and players could potentially be. So kudos to this commenter, first of all. Look, I think I said it on the other show. Maybe I didn't go as as like black and white with it as I wanted to. I 100% think this could happen. I really do. Um, They have been so good in non-conference that at this point I get Arizona's really good. They're going to be favored against Arizona. They're going to be big favorites against Alabama with how the Tide are playing right now. 
I don't think it's crazy at all to think they're going to win those games. That's an easier task than what they did in Maui. And then you're just looking at, okay, it's a 20-game Big Ten schedule. Obviously, it's hard to go undefeated. Teams rarely ever do this. But if there was ever a year to do it, (laughs) I think it would be this year. Last year, Purdue lost five games. Uh, I think we went into conference play last year thinking Purdue could go like 18 and two, maybe. And they ended up going 15 and five. So uh, I think it is still very unlikely, but I don't think there's a game on the schedule that you're circling right now thinking Purdue shouldn't win that game. Yeah, but. The two-month marathon of league play and all those true road games, I, I question the motivation factor because Purdue wanted to win Maui because everyone was hyping it up with all those great teams. So, of course, they were going to give their best. But going forward, the only thing that matters for them is the NCAA tournament. It's that round of 64 game they come up. They're going to win the Big Ten, but does it matter whether or not they go 20-0 versus 17-3? And there's going to be games where you have desperate bubble teams who are really going to try and get that win against them and boost their resume. I just don't see them having the the, the mental fortitude to win every single game. They'll be in every, they certainly won't get blown out, but there's going to be one of those 70 to 65 upsets they have on a random Thursday night that no one was expecting. Like it always happens. Yeah. I think you're probably right. Like if you had to bet, will it happen or not? You definitely bet that it would, but, I don't think it's crazy to think it might not. I'm just saying, I think there's I think there's teams that I'm less confident in than Purdue that have been undefeated at the end of the regular season. It's very rare. Um, but it goes back to my point. Like I'm I'm more afraid of this team than a lot of teams that we have seen in a while. And on the motivation point, Carter speculated this all offseason of like, yeah, do they really care about this? Aren't they just gonna save everything for March and load up? What if it's the opposite though? What if Matt Painter's just like, you know what? I don't know what we're going to do in March. That's where I'm bad. I'm scared of it. So let's be historically dominant where we're good instead, right? Like there's there's a chance that they do care 100 out of 100 about every game of this regular season. I think to this point in the season, it seems like they've cared even about the cupcake games with like Samford and Texas Southern. So I don't know, man. I think they're a buzzsaw. Like I, you would pick out the Rutgers game on the road. That's obviously scary. But if you go through their other away games here, none of these are that scary to me. Like at Maryland, not scary. At Nebraska, not scary. At Indiana, a lot less scary than it used to be. At Wisconsin, I guess. At Michigan, not scary. At Illinois is definitely scary. But, like, they don't go to the Breslin Center. They don't go to – actually, they do go to Carver-Hawkeye. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to lose a bad one this year. They'll lose to like Illinois or Iowa or Rutgers on the road. If it's one of them. But I mean, there really aren't any bad ones other than Minnesota and Penn state. Like if if they, if they lost on the road at Iowa or they lost at Maryland, even like no one would actually view that as really a bad loss. Cause they're all quad one games. And some of those teams at some point are really going to need that win. And, a desperate team always pulls something out. Yeah, I uh, I just can't wait until they're on the road so I can bet on them on the road. Like, they're going to Northwestern tomorrow, and I can't wait to bet Purdue to cover whatever the spread is in that game. Oh, that's so disrespectful to Bowie. I love Boo. I love Boo Darius. Trust me, uh, it's no disrespect. But 
Uh, this team's a wagon. I'm riding it all season long. All right, let's go to the Discord. Great comments night in the Discord last night. A lot of activity in there. Uh, again, a couple new signups this week. It's been fantastic to see that growing. If you want to support this show, if you like what we do on the YouTube channel, the best way to do so is join the paid Discord. It is $9.99 a month. Sign up. You join this awesome community full of Purdue fans and a bunch of other fans. We need to try and even it out. Um, but it, it's been fun. The game threads are really fun. And uh, we got a lot of smart basketball people in there, including Tristan and including many others. Uh, we will respond to comments from the Discord every single day on this show. And today's comments start uh, with Malik Perry, who has been actually kind of riding for um, – well, he's been joking about how Michigan State should handle A.J. Hogard, And it, he, he kind of keeps saying, like, someone needs to hit him in the face. And I can't tell if Malik's kidding or not. This time, Malik says, Izzo needs to get things ready for the future underclassmen. They matter a lot. Not one person with an ego. Give Fears and Holloman the keys to the car and see what they can do. Do you want to see a youth movement for Michigan State? Uh, no, not, not in the beginning of December. I mean, we can't give up on this team just yet. Like they're, they're still a final four contender and mainly not even because of how they look because of how everyone else looks like outside of Purdue and Yukon, everyone else has just in Arizona has, has major flaws. Like it's still not too late for Michigan state to just get just all they need is just one emphatic win over a ranked team and everyone will jump right back on the bandwagon. So I'm not ready yet, but I do understand people are starting to get, annoyed or wary with with Aikens and Hogarth. It's like, okay, if we're not actually going to win with them, then let's give these these younger guards a chance and guarantee that they're not going to be portal candidates. I, I think it's more of a, a, a an anti-feel to some of these veterans that they're sort of falling out of favor with. Yeah, Fears is the one. That's the one that I care about right now. I don't think you need to worry about turning it over to, to any of the other freshmen right now, but um, work for yours a little more in. And if he looks great in 25 minutes, then yeah, maybe we have a conversation about who's driving the car for the rest of the season. Melba said, is it time for another call in segment from the discord about maybe two months ago? Now I did a whole, uh, radio style show where I took calls from our discord. We had people send voice notes in Carter couldn't make it for that show. I would love to do that again. I thought that was one of my most fun times I've ever had recording this show, but I kind of want Carter there for the next one. I feel like he missed out on this fun exercise that we did. And honestly, his reactions to radio calls in would probably be the funniest thing that we could possibly do. So I want to save that. I love the idea of Melba. And if Carter continues to be out for like two weeks at a time, we might need to get creative, but I'm hoping he can be back soon. And maybe we can work that back in on like a once a month basis. Uh, moving on here. Guy says, give me a recruiting pitch for Pitt. He's about to tour colleges over spring break. Guy has said that he plans on visiting the Michigan schools specifically out of his respect for Carter and I, which is much appreciated. I think Guy should also visit some of his other favorites. I think he mentioned Gonzaga at one point. I think uh, Nebraska, obviously, he's a fan. He should go to Lincoln. Lincoln's a great time. What's the pitch for Guy to visit Pitt? Yeah, well, first of all, I, I'm I'm starting to get a little weary on Guy because it's starting to feel like a bag recruitment. You know, he's listening out a lot of these big names, these high-profile schools. Like, why should I come here? Like, as if he's a five-star prospect and we have to beg him to go here. But I'll, but I'll give my pitch for Pittsburgh. Uh, first of all, no natural disasters in our area. We're two away from the East Coast for hurricanes. We're not close enough to the Midwest for tornadoes. 
Worst thing that happens in Pittsburgh is it just gets cold every once in a while. So you don't have to deal with that. And then we got a whole bunch of hills. If you if you one of those walking freaks, I mean that that's that's a positive. I'm sure you know Connor Hope from Heat Check would love to live here because he can just walk all these hills for his heart's desire. And then, you know, if you really want to come here, you can get a doctor's checkup without having to worry about your life. You come here. I now understand why you've had one high profile recruit that's worked out in like 15 seasons because if, if the second thing on your list is we've got hills for those yeah. freaks that like to walk hills that's not a very good pitch uh we don't, we, we're born city we're born city yeah well hey guy uh i'm not gonna pitch you i want you to visit all these places and uh i think where i attended school will end up speaking for itself that's what I truly believe. Fam is back. He says, uh, playing off yesterday's show, he wants three relative fun facts about Monaco and a rough outline of where it's located for the viewers. Yeah, so rough outline, it's it's located somewhere near France because France basically controls it. I'm not a map guy. I couldn't tell you. But it's right, it's right there near the Mediterranean Sea and all that. Uh, apparently, there is an AS Monaco who uh, of soccer club. I didn't know there was an AS. I don't know what that stands for, but it's in uh, League One, and they're in third place right now behind Nice or Nice. I don't know how you pronounce that. And PSG. I think they had uh, Neymar on there a couple of years ago, but I think he's out there somewhere in Saudi Arabia. So they're actually a good football team. But uh, some uh, facts, Monaco. They are a constitutional monarchy basically means that uh, one person rules it, but, you know, they try to pretend as if other people can have a say in it. And their leader is Prince Albert II. That's just, that. that's just, just not necessary. Um, apparently, by sports fact, they have the most ever appearances in the Olympics, summer and winter, without ever getting a gold medal. So they're basically the BYU uh <laughs> of you know olympic sports which hey you know different apparently they had like in 1940 they won like an art medal but olympics don't uh count that as actual sports so they haven't done anything athletic wise but apparently they're good painters that's good for them mm. and then, i did not notice when doing research but apparently a famous american actress uh do you know who grace kelly is i sure do yeah yeah, so she actually married uh, a prince of Monaco. So she was the princess of Monaco up until 1980 when she tragically passed away in a car accident. Uh, I didn't know this, but I actually watched her before. And she was a, and she did part of the Alfred Hitchcock's movies, such as Dial M for Murder and To Catch a Thief. I, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a big mystery fan. And I've seen a, a, a couple of his movies along with the Perry Masons of the world. So she's like, one of the biggest, you know, famous figures from Monaco to ever come from there. And I didn't even know I actually watched her before. Uh, uh, first of all, I'm so overwhelmed right now. I'm speechless. Uh, great preparation by you. I don't know. Like, I, I feel like all the hashtags were not a history podcast, not a map podcast, not an art podcast. Like, we just went through the ringer of this. Very impressive. You know your stuff on Monaco. You threw out the name Grace Kelly, by the way. Just want to add on to that. Grace Kelly, great song by the hit band Mika back in the, uh, I think it was the late 2000s, maybe early 2010s. You know the song I'm talking about, Tristan? Isn't he, the, isn't he the person that did uh, I Used to Know? 
Is that the person? That is Goye. That is not uh, oh. not not Mika. Grace Kelly. Sorry, white people. Grace Kelly is maybe the greatest bridge in pop music that I can remember. I kind of am tempted to try and sing it right now, but it requires a vocal range that is insane. Should I go for it? I'm kind of scared. Do it. All right. I used to do this. It's been a while. It's like, I could be brown. I could be blue. I could be violet sky. I could be That's nice. That's nice. Yeah, that's nice. Let's move on. Uh, okay, Koi is getting us on track here. He says, Colorado, are we sure? No, no, we're not sure. I'd, I'd like, K.J. Simpson can go off for 20 or he can go three at 20, and that's not good enough for them to be there. And, K- and Cody Williams is, like, a, a solid freshman, but he's not the Brandon Miller types that people thought he could have been entering the year. Yeah, we're not sure. I, I think we're more sure they're not good than we are unsure they're great. Um, they're fine. Like, I shouldn't have said not good. They're fine. They're a good basketball team. They'll win some games, but I don't think they have a super high ceiling. I do think Colorado State's very good. So it's like, by no means is it a bad result to lose by five points at Colorado State. But um, yeah, out on the bus being any sort of serious contender here. Uh, did you have a bit, by the way, fam was asking for a bit. Do you have a bit? Yeah, I, I actually just thought about it a couple minutes ago. So I'm not going to tell you what the bit is. I'm just going to do it throughout the show and I'm going to have you guess what it is. I mean, really putting the work on me right now. I'm terrified, but all right, I'm with it. I'm with it. Um, I'm scrolling through the rest of these comments, like just a lot of discussion back and forth. I don't think anything we really need to read on the show. Carter, uh, good to see. Apparently his fingers still work because he is responding in the Discord. That's great. Uh, Here's one from Ryan the Lion. I don't know if he actually wants us to answer it on the show, but he says, is Collier legit? I know people are saying so, but I haven't watched USC yet. What do you think of Isaiah Collier so far? He's great. He's he's truly legit. Should be a top three pick in a draft. He has a huge game, him him and Boogie Ellis against Gonzaga. Two teams with no backcourt depth. So it's going to be great with seeing all those guards play 40 minutes against each other. It's going to be a really good test for them. So I can't wait to see that one this Saturday. I am with you. Um, I love Isaiah. He's one of my favorite players to watch in the country. I think he oddly has not even played like to his ceiling yet. Like last night he was in foul trouble and he still had a really productive night, but um, you know, he had a bunch of turnovers in the first couple weeks then last night he's just clunky and it was Boogie's game. I think we're going to see the best version of Isaiah like come in in conference play and just be there every single night without like the ups and downs. And the thing that makes USC scary is no matter what else they have around them, when you get in a single elimination setting and Boogie and Isaiah Collier are across from you, I don't care who you are, you're terrified of that matchup. Because if, if those guys just play their A-plus game, sometimes there's not a lot you can do about it unless you have the right personnel and you're really going to mortgage, like let's put two guys on both of these guys and uh, maybe leave open shots for somebody else. It's going to be fascinating to watch. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they make a deep run in March, if Isaiah hits his stride. Uh, Here's one more from Ryan Lyon. He says, what power six school feels like it doesn't belong or slash you forget about and who should replace them? Teams that come to mind for me are DePaul, Vanderbilt, Michigan, and Cal. Hold hold on. 
for a moment here. I just want to say, Ryan, I love you. I respect you. You are an <laughs> integral member. You are an integral member of this Discord. You really are. Your Michigan stuff is just nonsense, man. Like, there's you. I, I, I you'll probably take this as an insult, and honestly, I kind of think I mean it as an insult, Ryan. Yeah. You, you talk about Michigan the way Michigan fans talk about Michigan State, and it's the arrogance that just makes no sense. Like, it's there's supposed to be a reverence here for the respect from the rivalry, and I get we all hate each other, and that's fine, and I get that I'm a mutant, but like. You lumping in Michigan with DePaul is just nonsensical. It's it's true absurdity. Like you have to have a level of respect for a program that's gone to as many Final Fours as you have in the last ten years, and on the football sides, going to the playoff for the third consecutive season. Like you don't have to like it, but goodness, my friend, you lose credibility as just a sports person if you lump us in with DePaul and with Vanderbilt and with Cal. Tristan, what's your answer to his question, though? Yeah, you, 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 he got exactly what he wanted with your little rant. So good for Ryan on baiting you on that response. But I'm gonna go to Boston College because they're, it, they're, what's the point of having them? I mean, they're, they, they do nothing in football. They do nothing in basketball. I mean, the ACC already adding in, you know, some of these bad teams like Cal and SMU. We, we can probably afford to lose them, and they should probably go to the A-10 and, and just, you know, try the UMass model and see if that works for them. And if we could replace the ACC with them, give me James Madison. I want to ride the wave on what they're doing, uh, ranked in football, ranked in basketball. They actually can win. They actually can beat a Big Ten opponent. I'll take them right now. I like the Boston College call out. Um, I don't think I have a better one than that. To be honest with you, I'm trying to like rack my brain thinking of random schools, but yeah, I don't know. Like, have they, have they ever done anything really to make me notice them? Not nope. really ever. They they sabotage Pitt by giving us their awful quarterback, and we had to bench them four games into the year and make them a tight end. So no, I, no, no love for us. Saddest moment of my college football betting season was when you benched Djokovic because uh, I had been fading him automatically every game his whole career, and it was such a moneymaker. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, Narduzzi finally realized, oh, yeah, I can just bench this guy, and suddenly Pitt got better at football. Sad. Uh, and then final comment of the day, this is from Craig Bowers. He says, in regards to Purdue's three-point discussion, Lawyer and Smith hit the freshman wall last year. Percentages dipped. If you want to go back one year to predict historical trend lines, go back one more year than that. Gillis shoots 40%. Jones shoots higher. First shoots higher, et cetera. You can't cherry pick data. I think I entirely agree with Craig here. Do you have any thoughts? Uh, no, not really. I mean, ultimately, shooters are going to shoot. They're going to have their ups and downs. As long as they've shown that they can be a, a threat, that's ultimately what matters. And I'm not worried about Purdue shooting at all for Purdue. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great day. Comment section. Thank you, as always, for your important presence in this show. If you want to join the Discord, if you want to be someone who we read the comments of every single day, it is $9.99 a month to do so. You get some other things as well. You get our Sleepers Bets newsletters. With that, you get free access to my dub club, which means I send every single betting pick that I make this season. Finally had a great day with that yesterday, by the way. Hit uh, five out of six player props. Hit three out of five of the against the spread picks. So, uh, yeah, a bunch of reasons to join the Discord beyond just supporting us. Click the link in the description if you want to join. We have three topics today. 
let's start with the ACC SEC challenge has ended. Seven to seven is the final results, unless my math is wrong. Not a math podcast, so don't hold me accountable for that. But uh, interesting results here. I thought this was like a bunch of fun, entertaining games. I enjoyed it. I, I mean, it felt kind of like just replacement of the Big Ten ACC challenge. Obviously, I missed my conference being in it, but um, in general, this was pretty good basketball. Some interesting things came out of this, though. I have one note that I marked down that I'm very excited to point out, and I'm curious if you'll get there before I say it. What was your biggest takeaway from the conclusion of this event? That the From the ACC perspective, I still have no clue on almost any of these teams outside of UNC. Like, it, it the Virginia Texas A&M result just didn't make sense because it was basically a complete flip from the Wisconsin. Like, and by the way, Virginia is literally playing five guards. I mean, Jacob Groves, the Oklahoma transfer, is playing the five spot for them. You got Ryan Vaughn, you, you got you got Dunn, you got McNeely. Like it, it, the fact that they're playing so small and it's still this formidable against opposing front courts it, it is it, is a problem. But this is a team that still can't score. They don't have much offensive firepower. Reese Beekman is basically the same guy he's always been. He's going to give you 10, 5, and 6, which is fine, but I, I just don't know what Virginia is going to do. I, they're probably going to end up being 15-5 and five in league play, but I still am not going to like them at all. And Wake Forest is another one. I mean, they beat Florida, which was – I mean, everyone was riding high on Florida. Hunter Sow is 24 points. I mean, the Gonzaga transfer, he's been great. But – they're also a team that can lose to Georgia, who, by the way, came back and beat Florida State last night. That was an interesting response. Pitt losing to Missouri, even though Pitt's defense looked fine, they couldn't score for 10 minutes. Virginia Tech, I think we can say, is bad. Now, I think we can actually say that the Rodney Rice departure for them is really, really going to hurt them. And then Duke, and you talked with this with, with Ralph Horn, the recap. You know, all eyes are going to be on Tyrese Proctor and he, his struggles, but McCain and, and Foster have to do more than one or 12 combined from the field as well. And if they're not going to play any of their big south side of Phil Powski and Mitchell, they're, they're, they're all of a sudden don't have as many offensive weapons as I thought they have. And they're, and everyone said this, they were soft. They got fairly punked. Now, I'm not going to be mad that you lose a road game in Arkansas, but we still – yet to see them look actually good against good competition. So, you know, the ACC, you know, drew with the SEC. I think everyone has the SEC much higher. But, you know, this conference could be really weird again, and it might not only get about four or five bids because, quite frankly, teams from three to 13 can all literally beat each other any day of the week. Okay. I agree with your takeaways. Um I still I'm trying to make sure I want to go as harsh as I'm going to go on this. I think outside of the top four, four to five, maybe in the SEC, but top four teams, I think everybody in both of these conferences is extremely mediocre. That's my takeaway. Um, like, can we go game by game on this quickly? Yeah. And then I, I have a number here, but like just going game by game. Mississippi State losing to Georgia Tech. Both those teams stunk. And I get Mississippi State should be better, but th- 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 that was two bad basketball teams that played in that game. Notre Dame, South Carolina, bad. LSU, Syracuse, horrible outside of Judah Mintz, who's fun. 
Missouri and Pitt, I get. We like Pitt. Missouri stinks. That was a really bad result for Pitt. And I still like Pitt. But that that was old Pitt. That was old, ugly, bad basketball. NC State and Ole Miss, I thought was a horrible basketball game. Uh, Florida and Wake Forest, we're supposed to like Florida. They got wrecked in the second half against a bad Wake Forest team. Uh, Boston College and Vanderbilt, horrible basketball. Credit to Boston College for showing up. Bad basketball. Georgia-Florida State was an entertaining game. Georgia's bad. They're not supposed to win on the road in that game. And then you're left with Virginia Tech and Auburn. I thought Auburn looked good, and that's the team I would put fifth in the SEC. That's why they get five well, instead of four. Uh, well, I would correct you on that. Auburn did not look good. Janai Broom looked good. And yeah. Chad Baker-Mazzara looked good. Those guards were off. And, and Aiden Hallway, you know, you you. I mean, if for all the fun we made of of Katie Johnson and Wendell Green, Hallways looked like Green for, for a bit sometimes. Like that, that needs to improve because you're going to, because they're going to go up against a team that actually has a front court to defend them. So broom, great. The rest of the Auburn. Eh. Yeah. After a really good start for Holloway, he's five for 26 from the floor in his last three games. I mean, I don't, I don't know what you're going to do with that. Um, but that's, that's my broad takeaway here is like, I think these conferences are both extremely top heavy and say what you want about the big 10. There is no top other than Purdue, right? And Purdue barely even counts as a Big Ten team at this point. They should they should go be independent. They don't feel like a Big Ten team anymore. But outside of them, it's like, okay, there's a bunch of teams we wish were top 25. But in reality, it's like a, the number one team in the country and then maybe nine different teams that are anywhere from 30 to 60 in the country. That's how I view the Big Ten. But the ACC and the SEC don't have that. Like, there's there's teams that are supposed to be top 20 in the country at the top in both. Both have, like, four to five. And then when you drop to six in the ACC or the SEC, it's like a team that's barely top 100 in the country to me. And I don't know what you do with that. I know the ACC has gotten hit where they don't have a lot of bids in recent years. The SEC seems like they pump a bunch of teams into the NCAA tournament every year. But – I, like, look at last year, Texas A&M went 15-5 in the SEC, got steamrolled by Penn State when they got to the tournament. So I, I, that's just a weird takeaway I have. Was like, I expected this to feel like a really big-time event, and instead I came away feeling like it was super top-heavy with a bunch of mediocre basketball outside of it. Yeah, I mean, if you want to look at it positively, Wake Forest really struggled in the first couple weeks. They still have potential, but they don't have Mario Mansanto to still wait on Ethan Reed Waver. If they can get consistent production from anywhere outside the top three, they could be a good team. I just, like you said, like none of these teams are bad, which is, which is, you know, to start somewhere. Like none of these teams are awful outside of Louisville. But, you know, the, the, the problem is, if they don't in the next month don't you know start getting bigger wins, then all they're going to do we're going to have a whole bunch of teams you know ten and ten in league play, twelve and eight in league play with mediocre records. Like Wake Forest is setting themselves up once again to have five non-con losses, go twelve and eight in league play, look like a tournament team, and they're going to be right on the bubble. And then you know even right now like Pitt, like people are impressed with Pitt, but Oregon State's the best one they have. Like, that's yeah. not good enough. And Oregon State's basically a bye-game opponent. Like, if they lose to Clemson on Saturday, then they're going to have a bunch of more bye-games to round out the the schedule because West Virginia on the road is not going to matter much. It, it's, you know, you don't want to get nervous when it comes to resume building, but how many signature games 
do you have coming up? Like at, at least North Carolina looking as good as they did against Tennessee it gives you hope that UNC can actually be top 10 potential, but even them showed some flaws in the battle for this. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the number uh, to define, I, even while I'm saying it's top heavy, but just to define how unimpressed I was with a lot of these games. There were eight teams that entered this event in both conferences total. Eight teams that were ranked in the top 25 AP poll. They went two and six in this event. And the two wins were games between ranked teams. So somebody had to win. Like there were four different games that a ranked team lost to an unranked team in this event. I don't think that's good. And I know that should work in conflict with what I'm saying of like, oh, maybe there is a middle class that deserves mention. In reality, I don't think it's that. I think it's that the elite teams in this conference or in these conferences are not as elite as we wish they were. And the middle is not as good as we wish it was. There's And look, the country at large, I think, is falling victim to this, too. Um, there's a level playing field. So I don't mean to like make it relative and say these conferences are awful and write them off. But I just, I came away pretty unimpressed with everybody across the board here. That's not North Carolina and that's not um, Kentucky. Like those were the big winners here, right? You have North Carolina who now looks like they should win the ACC Kentucky who now looks like they should win the SEC. And then a bunch of what ifs. Here's the good news, though, if you're an ACC fan like myself. I'll ask you this. Has the Pac-12 looked impressive outside of Arizona? I think UCLA had moments in Maui. But, but largely outside of the top three or four, you're not impressed. I don't know. I, I honestly think there's more there than there is in the ACC or the SEC right now. I know like that sounds what, crazy. Like Washington? No, but I think I think Utah has earned their keep thus far. I think even though we're skeptical with Colorado, that's a team that like I would put in like the fifth range in the ACC right now. Um, I think UCLA has a higher ceiling than anybody that's not Duke and Carolina. I think USC looks really good. Well, I guess overall, outside of the Big 12, no one else has really looked dominant in terms of a conference that's going to snatch up a bunch of bids. Like the Big 10 will get theirs because, you know, they play the numbers well. The Big East outside the top four have had their struggles. I mean, you know, St. Mary's falling apart. That's probably going to be a bit that opens up. I mean, the Mountain West, Colorado State looks good, but how has New Mexico and Boise State looked good? So I wouldn't pan. I, I do. I agree that it's more balanced overall. And if you're, you know, the A10 or some other leagues hoping to try to sneak out another bit, it's been a fairly decent process. Although a lot of teams now are have resume builders to sneak on if they start to go on a roll. Are we saying the sport is cooked? Is that the takeaway here? <laughs> I, I don't think balance means it's cooked. Not, 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 not yet. Okay. All right. I'm just uh, kind of dreading where we're headed here. We're like, we're looking at every conference being like, yeah, there's a lot of average teams at best. I don't like that. Cause last year we ended up with three average teams in the final four. And I, I just hated that. I want some good teams to play good, please. Uh, okay. All right. Let's move on. But thank you for admitting the ACC stinks and pits and bubble team at best. That was very nice of you. Let's move well, on. You're welcome, fellow bubble team. <laughs> ah, ah. Where would, ah. where would Michigan finish in the ACC? Like six or seven. Yeah, that's low. That's really what do you mean low. Okay. Y'all have say, okay. All you have is a win over Stanford. 
Congratulations. Stanford or St. John's. That's what you hang your hat on. Yeah, St. John's is our best win. Not Stanford. Yeah. That, that, what, that is, and, and then you're all of a sudden a very good team? No. I'm saying okay. the ACC stinks, so we would finish okay. like fourth in it. And no, y'all stink too. So y'all would be just right in the field. Nah. Everybody's thinking. Nah. And y'all defense stinks. So when Hunter <laughs> Styles drops 40 on you, yeah, you stink. Oh, man, I would love to play Hunter Salas instead of, like, I don't know, go to the Kohl Center. I would love to, truly. Anyways, let's move on. Uh, <laughs> speaking of teams that stink right now, Villanova loses at home to St. Joseph's. Um, not great, not a good result. We should note St. Joe's has now looked very good against the two big games on their schedule. They took Kentucky to overtime at Rupp Arena, and now they – basically led from start to finish against Villanova. They coast to a 13-point victory in the second half. Got a little dicey early in the second half, and then St. Joe's just immediately created more separation. And like I said, coasted to a victory here. Uh, it, uh, uh. Villanova was the battle for Atlantis champions a week ago. Everybody was feeling great about them. Everybody was giving Kyle Neptune his flowers for the great portal class and how he rebuilt this roster and Oh, they're a serious contender. I've heard everybody on After Dark from the Big East world try and tell me that this team belongs right up there with Marquette and right up there with UConn right now, especially when you get to the end of the season. This was Justin Moore and Eric Dixon and nothing else. That's been my fear with this team from the start. We saw last year Justin Moore and Eric Dixon are not good enough to carry a bad team. Tyler Burton, TJ Bamba, they no-showed this game. They were not there. What did you see from Villanova? Uh, I, I've seen enough to know that I have completely changed my tune on Kyle Neptune. And not that I even have an opinion on him, because this isn't his fault. This is it. These transfers are just not good. And we've seen them enough against good competition to know that for some reason they just think. Like, Tyler Burton cooked St. Joe's when he was at Richmond. And he goes for four shot attempts. You know, and I don't want to box score watch, but I do want to be very specific when it comes to these players. T.J. Bomba, who averaged 17 a game at Washington State, one point over five shooting in 34 minutes. Hakeem Hart, six points in 10 minutes. The fact that he only plays 10 minutes is a problem in itself. And then, again, Burton, five points. Lance Ware, reportedly he got a bag when he left Kentucky to go to Villanova. That might be the biggest heist in history because he's just zero points in eight minutes and you cannot rely on more in Dixon to do it all they have nothing and and at some point it's not Neptune it's just these guys just can't play well in, in roles that aren't their own like Tyler Burton can only be a number one option he doesn't know what to do when he's a number three option like Hakeem Hart is supposed to be the versatile role player can't even do that. Like and Bamba, just a shooter. He he can't do that. I can't blame Neptune for the fact that these transfers just don't want to show up against the St. Joe's team, who by the way don't defend. Like they're not really a good defensive team. They've had their own problem. Like Billy Lange has been on the hot seat for the Hawks. They do have a ton of talent. Eric Reynolds is a stud. Cameron Brown, great. Lynn Greer, great. They didn't even have their big man, the seven foot freshman Chris Sesendoko. Didn't even have him, and yet Villanova, outside of Dixon, has no size to to exploit that. I, they're they're a team that, from a talent perspective, can beat anyone. They're not going to be consistent enough. They're not going to 
running, uh, you know, four wins in a row. They're they're going to lose probably to DePaul. They're going to struggle against St. John's for no reason. I'm just going to, I'm just naturally out on them because you can't be this inconsistent. But again, it's not the coach. These just have inconsistent players that are supposed to be better than what they have been so far. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm going to go metaphor route here with Villanova and how they've been building their roster. And please forgive me. I think this is one of the clunkiest, worst metaphors I've ever tried to unveil on this show. But what I feel like Kyle Neptune's trying to do here is he's trying to go buy like a dollar hash brown at McDonald's. Okay, like that's the end goal here is I need to go get a dollar and six cents to go buy a hash brown. And last year's roster had three quarters. It had Cam Whitmore, who was a quarter. It was like a kind of gross quarter. Like he he fell to the ground a couple of times. Maybe he got some like sticky goo that stuck to him, but he was a quarter. Then you had Eric Dixon and you had Justin Moore, who were also quarters. And they were 25 cents short, 31 cents short with tax, right? They needed to just get a little more ammo here. We need to get our funds up. So what do they do? Cam Whitmore leaves. Neptune says, I'm going to go out and get three guys from the portal. The problem is, as much as people praise this portal class, TJ Bamba and Tyler Burton and Hakeem Hart and Lance War are not quarters. Those are like nickels or dimes at best. Like I, if you want to give them credit, Bamba's a dime, Burton's a dime, Hakeem Hart's a dime, and Lance Ware's a nickel. 35 cents in four guys instead of 25 cents in one guy doesn't get you to your dollar, even if it puts you incrementally ahead of where you were last year. That's how I feel about Villanova. And because it looks so different and there's more players there, I think people were quick to praise how good this roster is and how good of a job Kyle Neptune did and what the ceiling is. When in reality, these guys are role players and role players that haven't been very good. Like they, I'm sorry, Tyler Burton. I know he's been productive. Um, I thought that Richmond team really underachieved last year because he hit a wall and didn't have a higher ceiling beyond what he was. TJ Bamba, good player. I don't think he's a great player on great teams. I, I, we've just never seen that. Hakeem Hart, I don't know where the narrative flipped on Hakeem Hart. He's always been an irrelevant role guy at Maryland. And now here he is on Villanova. And I think people gassed him up like he's one of the best shooters in the country when it's just not the case. So even if those guys were good versions of themselves, that leaves you in a spot where you're still looking around in the room and saying, Eric Dixon, Justin Moore, you're our go-to guys. Those guys proved fully incapable of being successful as top two options on a team last year. And I get that Justin Moore was hurt. It's good to see him healthy right now. Justin Moore would be a great number two. Eric Dixon would be a great number three. Those guys are not one and twos on a good team. And there's a caliber drop off to this Villanova team that I think everyone needs to begrudgingly accept because when they get into the Big East play, like there's going to be elite teams they have to play every single week. They're going to lose those games more often than not because they don't have the talent to match up. And by the way, they're all playing out of position because Justin Moore is basically the point guard because Mark Armstrong, 16 minutes, like two shot attempts. I mean, basically he's just out there spelling it. And Moore had three assists and four turnovers. The team had more turnovers than assists. Like that's, that's just not going to work offensively. Tyler Burton is a three playing the undersized four and he's not rebounding. So if you're not actually creating mismatches as the undersized four, then you're pretty much the negative. And Eric Dixon has to play the five because Lance Ware is not good and not in a joke the former four-star prospect can't get on the court. So you have a bunch of dudes not in their true positions. 
is showing on a defensive end because they're getting cooked by mid-major folks. Like St. Joe's and, and Penn have really good talent. But if you're getting cooked by them, imagine what's going to happen when Marquette, UConn, even the St. John's players go up against you. Like you're you're not going to be able to stop them. And they don't have any answers. And, and I mean, if you're going to have just the more play point guard, you know, then, then you're going to have to settle with the fact that he's just going to put up 20 shot attempts and two assists. And you're just going to hope everyone else can score on their own in ISO ball. They should. Like, Bamba was able to score an ISO. Burton was able to score an ISO. Those guys didn't even have good point guard plays in their previous spots. So the fact that they can't even do it now, it's just maybe you can blame coaching. But, again, it, and it's weird. And, and Burton was a role player at Richmond before when we first started. Because when the Spires make the tournament, you had Jacob Giller, Gilliard and other guards playing well. So it's not like he's not used to being the third option, but I guess he got so comfortable just being the guy that he literally forgot what to do when he only gets six or seven shot attempts to make the most of it. But I just don't understand this team, and I think this they're just going to be naturally inconsistent throughout all 30 games. Yeah, I don't think it's a Neptune. Like, like maybe broader Neptune's not the guy and that's a problem, but I don't think it's like a Neptune's mismanaging the team now that the season's here problem, which some people have hinted at. I think it's more just like, this is a roster problem. This roster has limitations and um, it's going to be tough for him to figure out on the fly. Also, like I get Villanova fans are probably going to push back on this be like, guys, we just won the battle for Atlantis. This was a bad game, but this is a good team. I would push back pretty harshly on the performance of the battle for Atlantis by just throwing this out there. I think that entire field stunk. North North Carolina was obviously very good. That was obviously a great win. Villanova deserves all the credit in the world for winning that game in overtime. Also, the North Carolina team they beat in that game was a little bit different than the team that Hubert's been forced into playing because Cadeau only played 17 minutes off the bench in that game. And I think he's one of the things that makes them special. And he had foul trouble in that game. To me, the other wins, like, yeah, you give them credit, but we don't know how good Memphis is, and Texas Tech's not that good, even though they're a great defense. So, yes, they deserve their stars for winning that game. This team clearly has an NCAA tournament ceiling. Like, they they should be an NCAA tournament team, even if they play poorly this year. But having two blips on the radar now is scary to me. Losing the game at Penn and now losing at home to St. Joe's is – it's eye-opening to me. It's not just like, oh, that was a bad game. It's like, no, this team has a pretty low floor that people might not want to admit. And just last question on this. Are we too quick to dismiss St. Joseph's? I mean, this is a team that lost to Texas A&M Commerce a month ago. Yeah, I have them number two in the preseason because from a talent perspective and fully healthy, they're one of the best mid-majors in the country. The problem is, is the same way people feel about certain coaches is how St. Joe's fans feel about Billy Lang because they're incredibly inconsistent, really poor defensively at times, and can struggle offensively. They barely scored 50 against Texas A&M Commerce, and that was just a situation where they were not ready. And the concern with them is when focused, they can beat anyone. They just don't have that day-to-day consistency where they can come in and beat Dayton, but then not lose to LaSalle. So talent-wise, this isn't a surprise to anyone. The question is, can they or can they build off of this and continue to play good ball back to back to back to back games? And we'll see, because I, I believe in the next week or so, they take on undefeated at Princeton, who's been excelling so far out of the Ivy League. That's the game that St. Joe's should win. And that's going to be a really interesting game 
you know, if they didn't lose to Texas A&M Commerce, you could argue that they're the best team in the A-10, but I just want to see them consistently beat teams they're supposed to beat before I can truly believe them that they can win the league. But talent-wise, they're, they're legitimately great. All right, yeah, it's good to know because when you just watch them, like I, I watched the Kentucky game, I watched the Villanova game, they don't feel crazily undermanned talent-wise against those teams, which – I think speaks loudly to what you're saying. Like this is a team that should have a lot of success in the A-10. I won't pretend to be a St. Joseph's expert by any means, but uh, I definitely came away from both those games being like, wow, this team has dudes that can hang against the best of the best in the country. And uh, at least that's that's how I felt after the Kentucky game. I don't think Villanova is the best of the best in the country, so I'm not surprised they hung in this game whatsoever. Uh, also, just want to throw this out there. I did jump on St. Joseph's live at halftime to win this game. Got a nice little payout around the plus 300 range. So for any betters out there, your boy's back. I'm feeling good. Villanova, you'll be all right. You'll make the tournament this year. Keep your head up, but also get your shit together. That was not the best performance. Final topic today. I can't believe we have to go back to this, but, I mean, we we simply have to. Is Kenny Payne doing a bit at this point? I don't understand why he keeps doing what he's doing in press conferences Uh, If you didn't see it last night, just another extremely viral Kenny Payne moment. This time he's talking about Tyler Johnson, who uh, Kenny claims this was his claim in the quote. If you watch the full video that's out there, the claim was that Tyler Johnson did not want to play. He wasn't sure he wanted to play because they didn't have the right tights that he wanted. So he apparently mentally was not all the way there. Didn't want to play. And then in the second half, this is an exact quote from Kenny Payne. In the second half, he accepted the fact that we didn't have the kind of tights that we never had for him. And he played well. If you watch the video of this quote, like people in the room are visibly taken aback by this. Like <laughs> there's there's a, an out loud audible chuckle from someone who's just like, what did you just say? It's such a baffling choice to say this. And I think Kenny Payne was clearly making a joke. Like he's trying to make light of a situation. He tried to play it into like (laughs) college kids these days. Am I right? But all it does is further exemplify his incompetence as a man who's tasked with running this Louisville basketball program. So seriously, I'm convinced he's doing a bit. I think that's what this is. I think this is a conscious decision to look incompetent for what reason? I don't know. What is your read on the Kenny Payne situation? Yeah, so if I look at it optimistically, I would argue that if this was any other team and any other coach and he was like, oh, yeah, you know, one of our players didn't even want to play because he didn't have the right tights, but he stuck through it. We'd be like, oh, ha, 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 whatever. But when you're a a team who needed a a, a Conference USA program to lose an extra player on the court to beat them in overtime and you've been you've already had two awful losses and everyone views you as a joke, then like, there, it, ironically, there's nothing funny about Louisville basketball right now because it's, it's really sad. Like, even after what they did in Empire Classic, they haven't looked good since. Like, they look back to being bottom feeders. And people are just sort of wondering, like, do you have, you know, any kind of control on the program? Because, like, if, if a player says to Rick Pitino or, 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 or any coach, hey, I don't even want to play if I don't have my tights. That coach is literally going to look at him and say, okay, well, you can sit down and not play today. And that would have been the end of it. And he, and he would have kept it under wraps because he would have been 
so mad. And I think the problem is, why isn't Kenny Payne mad that a player on a team that can barely beat anyone is even talking about that when you still need him? Like, he had eight points against Bellarmine, and they needed all eight of them to get by, who was a really, a really bad D1 program. The fact that that's even, you know, part of the the what seems to be an awful culture right now it is just really disastrous. And I just don't – I think Kenny Payne, and if you want to look at it negatively, maybe he wanted to out him. Maybe he wanted to embarrass Tyler Johnson. Like, that's, that's what you're doing. I'm going to put it out here in the public radar so everyone can know and everyone can look at you looking bad. But at the end of the day, we're no, none of us is going to care about a backup freshman. We're all going to be looking at you as like the fact that he told you that shows how little respect he has for you. And he's just simply a freshman that's only known you for a couple of months. Yeah, I hope it's not that. It could be that. But I, I hope it's not like a mind game to try and embarrass a kid. Because even if this is exactly what happened, even if there's a generous interpretation of this event for Kenny Payne that he's telling the truth, it's... Uh, like that that's just a i don't know a, a devious way to go about this like it's a it's bad on your character if you're trying to throw your player under the bus like that if that actually happened i would hope as a man you try and protect that person and work things out behind the scenes the, it, it should it should just be stated there was absolutely no need to go here like th- there was not a pointed question that he needed to answer here and if he if, if he needed to address what happened with Tyler, he could have easily just said, uh, kind of dodged the question, right? Like, yeah, well, he was right. He like we got him ready for the second half. He's good to go. Like, no further questions. That, like, fine, not an issue whatsoever. Nobody's talking about it. Kenny made the conscious decision to go into detail about such an absurd situation that means one of two things to me here, and one of them is a conspiracy. But I I truly believe this is where we're at. Either Kenny is just that stupid and this is a a disastrous hire that we all kind of think it is right now, right? Like he just – if he's that stupid enough to think this was like a funny thing he could just talk about in the media, he's so, so in over his head and this is just not going to end well. What I think is actually happening here, it's a full-blown conspiracy theory, but I I believe this makes more sense than Kenny being that stupid. His buyout is $8 million if he gets fired this year. His buyout is six million dollars if he gets fired next season. It's gonna keep dropping. He knows he's not in this job long, right? Like Kenny's not an idiot. He might be, but I don't think anyone can be that stupid. Like, even if you're stupid, there's people in your life that have to be telling you, like, you're not long for this job unless something changes, right? So he can read his contract. He's got people that can advise him on what's in his best financial interest. And he knows there's no way in hell he's still the head coach of this program at most generously two years from now. But realistically, at the end of the season, if he knows he's gone, the smartest thing he could do financially is get fired. It's an extra $2 million, right? Yeah. Well, And to add on to it, not only would he want to leave, He'd also want to put it out there like, hey, this is who I'm working with. These are the players that I have to deal with. We have a guy who doesn't even want to play because he doesn't want his tights going on. Because this is a guy who still has NBA connections. And I'm sure he doesn't want to be fully done coaching, even if he's just an assistant. It's like, hey, these are the players that I'm kind of dealing with. It's not all me. Like, this, 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 this isn't good. So maybe he's also just putting that out there for the future saying, hey, this, look, look at this. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I think it's the only thing that makes sense as sad as that is. And it's not fair to his kids, but um, I know it's speculation. I truly believe that that's what's happening here. I think he knows he's not long for the job and is just in full blown burn it down mode. If I get fired, great. I get 2 million more dollars. Let's do a uh, Carter and I have done like, how long is he going to last for? And he already made it further than Carter thought he would. This is the second time he's had like a viral quote this season. The first one was when he said, Mike Woodson tricked him when he went zone. <laughs> that was hilarious. What's the next viral thing that Kenny Payne's going to say? Like, can we predict the next excuse he makes? Like, where is this headed? It, it, it has to be the DePaul game. I think he's he's going to say something, win or lose, in, in that game. Something something about the talent level. Or maybe he might actively joke about the fact that, oh, I'm not going to get fired after this one if he wins because everyone's going to call it the fire game. Like, whoever loses that one probably gets canned. And I think he's going to make some kind of joke because maybe he's just he just doesn't care. And, he, and he's just going to say what's on his mind, which I appreciate as media member. But it, 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 something's going to happen. I think he, he may be so self-conscious about how bad the team is that he's sort of trying to joke his way a little bit out of it in the media, which backfires because the team is a joke. I think one of two things happens. I like the prediction that something centered around the DePaul game is going to come. I think option one, he is going to either joke or not joke, but just be so abruptly straightforward to the point of challenging the media to fire him. I think that's like, say they lose to DePaul. I think we get a quote from Kenny Payne in the press conference that's just like, fire me. What are you going to do? Fire me. And like he's going to mean it in a joking way, but everyone's just going to be like, dude, what are you doing? My second option here uh, is I think he's going to praise Sky Clark, who's actually been pretty great as a scorer for this team, right? Like he's scoring 20 almost every night right now. He had 21 last night in the win over Bellarmine. Um, I, I think he's going to say that Sky Clark deserves national player of the year recognition at some point, like just pure delusion give my guy sky some accolades and everybody's going to laugh at it. But uh, I, one of those two things, I, that that's what I would expect next from Kenny Payne. What an unprecedented situation, man. He's hilarious. This is good for the sport. It's more fun than talking about Villanova losing. Hey, I'm not mad. I can't wait to see sky Clark drop 20 on eight or 20 shooting in a loss against Pittsburgh. Can't wait for that. Yeah. Might be a win <laughs> the way things are headed right now. I don't know. Are you taking sky or are you taking bub? I'm taking Bub out of loyalty, but I'm going to need him to learn how to go left one of those times. I can't believe you hesitated on that. That's crazy. That's how I know Pitt's down bad, by the way. You think for one second I would hesitate on a Doug McDaniel prompt against Sky Clark? Come on. Not a good time to ask. When you see your team not make a field goal in eight minutes, that's it's, it's your kind of quest. Like yeah. at least, at least you, you know, you know your team will give up a hundred to Long Beach State, but you know you'll score it. Yeah, I'm more depressed when you can't score and you just watch a bunch of comments. Yeah, fun losses. I'm fine with that this season. That's okay. No expectations, right? It's great. All right, uh, fun show today. Let's get to one big thing presented by Bigby, Tristan. Yesterday, we had a water diatribe from you. Uh, what's your one big thing today? Yes, yeah, so, so this one is focused on nature and, and, and exclusively to some people. A shout out to Connor Hope of Heat Check. But what's the point of hiking? 
hiking might be one of the top five unnecessary forms of exercise. Like you're literally just walking upwards, going up heights to see a bunch of trees and rocks that you've seen everywhere else. Get up to the top and say, woo wee, we're at the top. And then turn around and go down for no reason whatsoever. You already got air. There's no need for that. There's who knows what else is out, out there at the top of the mountain. There's like mountain lions, there's bears, coyotes, rats, all of that stuff. You don't need to go up there and adventure. You can just walk. Just go look wherever you live. Just do a circle around your house. And there you go. That's your little hike. And you don't even hurt your knees. You don't need to have bad knees just to experience nature. Just, you know, take a nice little walk on equal ground and you'll live longer for it. This show has gotten so unhealthy. Like Carter got sick and Tristan's been here for 12 hours. And now yeah. we're spending a good three minutes every episode on reasons to be unhealthy. I didn't say anti-walking. No, nothing <laughs> wrong with walking. But what's the point of hiking? Then you got to put a backpack on and, and bring in unnecessary things. Like, why? It's you, Okay, so you don't like hiking. You're not, you don't have beef with walking. You have beef with hiking. But do, yeah, you, like, do you like walking, though? I do. I don't, I don't like being still. So actually taking a walk and listening to podcasts and stuff, you know, it just, keep, just clears your mind rather than just staying inside. See, I feel like you're hitting me with a, I do, but like it, you said, like with running and with uh, like even drinking water. You don't actually like those activities. You'd have to just train yourself and trick yourself into liking them. You haven't tricked yourself into liking walking? No, I, I've always been a walker. Okay. Ain't nothing wrong with walking. Okay. What are you drinking right now? Um, Mountain Dew. Is that, that's Code Red Mountain Dew? Yes. <laughs> I love Tristan. My ass been up since 6 a.m. I needed something. What am I going to do? Oh, I'm tired. I'm going to wake myself up with a glass of water. Who does that? Get a coffee. Co I've, I've had coffee one time, like years ago, and it was nasty. Never tried it again. <laughs> it's like it's like bootleg pot. There's no reason for it. There is reason. It makes you untired. You, and then you need a coffee maker, and then you got to get one of those little filter paper, plastic things and all that there's no point for that. just just get this out the fridge and drink it and you're good oh my god all right um i never i mean carter's a pretty healthy individual i would say but it, given his current state i would not expect me begging for him to come back to save the health of this show but i think that's where we're at right now uh my one big thing presented by bigby is uh this is a semi just quick serious we don't need to get sentimental on it but uh today's the field of 68 tip-off event in Boca. They're going down there. They've got uh, Florida Atlantic hosting this event. They've got Liberty as well. And I'm forgetting the third team right now. Do you know the third team off the top of your head? Uh, Call of Charleston. Yeah, it's our city, right? Uh, so cool concept for this. They're running it at different than any other MTV that I've heard in a while. And it, Correct me if I'm wrong. If you've heard of one, let me know. But it's a three-team event, and they basically are round-robining this. So tonight, uh, Florida Atlantic is going to play Liberty, and then next day, different matchup, and then next day, different matchup. But uh, we're going to have many of our familiar faces from the field of 68 down there. I believe Matt McCall is there. I think they're sending Chris Mack. Uh, I believe Goodman and Rob and at least a few others will be there. But um, cool moment, cool moment. That company means a lot to me. They are the people that gave me my shot at getting on this train whatsoever. 
Um, started with like a couple Zoom calls with those guys where I basically begged them for any sort of role whatsoever. And to see it grow from like absolutely nothing. Like I think the first time I ever talked to them, Rob had like a logo that he had sketched and an email account. And to see it grow into a thing where now they have a real event with their name on it, with real teams that are actual good basketball teams. And they're going to be doing live shows from Boca. Um, And selfishly, I know it's stupid and a little self-centered to say this, but like the logo is a logo I came up with. Like it's it's crazy that something from my brain is now like an event that's on t-shirts with basketball teams there. Uh, it's such a cool thing. I, Rob Doster deserves a bunch of credit. Everybody that works on that network should be really proud of uh, what they've done to make this event a thing and to make the Field of 68 something that has enough name brand recognition to host an event like this. So congratulations, Rob. Congratulations to the Field of 68. And I hope Florida Atlantic wins by 80 in this event. I hope they just steamroll everybody and they can talk about how good the Owls are. Yeah, good teams. I mean, Carl Charleston has high brand name recognition. Liberty as borderline top 25. I mean, this is actually legitimately a good field, good opportunities for each of these teams. And, you know, one thing with Field 68 covering is they're actually going to care about the basketball aspect of it. So I, I'm looking forward to it. I'll be writing about it for the Field 68 Daily, by the way, for tomorrow morning. So, so I actually do have to pay attention. You got to love it. Uh, all right. That's the show for today. We will be back in some form on Friday, whether that's Tristan and Mountain Duke hands or whether that's Carter and Dayquil. Uh, who knows? It remains to be seen. But thank you, Tristan, for being here this week. It's been awesome. And uh, click subscribe on the YouTube channel. We'll see you tomorrow. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.